You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the LA International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in LA since 1989. All right, let's uh, start here. We're going to start off with a word of prayer. Let's pray together. All right, let's do this. Father, we're so grateful to you that uh, we can be together to celebrate this great day. Father, help us to really encourage the mothers and encourage everyone. God, motherhood's not easy. Uh, God, some of us have lost children. Some of us have gone through some really tough times with our own mothers. And we know that, uh, God, because we are struggling human beings. But yet, Father, just the idea of motherhood really comes from you. And uh, God, we celebrate that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, uh, Amy Chua wrote this book. She's a lawyer from uh, Yale. She's a professor at Yale. And it caused quite a firestorm uh, because of just the principles that she was espousing. And basically, it's, uh, it's the battle hymn of the tiger mom. And what it was was just that it helps to really perpetuate the idea that if you drive your children hard and consistently that they will grow up to achieve great things. And, uh, you know, she got a lot of flack for that, but that's, that's really her, her idea. And, uh, it's really perpetuate also the Asian kind of stereotype of great schools and all that stuff as well. For me, uh, a few years ago, I had a chance to work in Vietnam and one of the great projects that I feel like we were able to be a part of was uh, working with Operation Smiles in Vietnam. And to see these kids that have cleft lips and really had to suffer for many years you know, in school, some of them were life-threatening because they, because of their, uh, their lips, they were not able to eat. So these doctors would go around uh, to the provinces once a year and have these um, operations for the kids. And I tell you this, I've, I've seen the mothers and just how aggressive they can be at just really getting the help that they need uh, for their children. And these women get really aggressive, and, and rightly so as well. I am being Asian. I want to balance out the stereotype a little bit. And I know Amy Chua wrote the book about the tiger moms. If I were ever to write a book, I would call it Panda Dads. <laughs> And uh, just to kind of ease the stereotype a little bit, because I love the panda. And, uh, you know, they're just awesome, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what's there not to love? And look, panda dads, I think it would be a great book. And I'd be self-supporting and, you know, free up some money for teen interns and all that stuff. The pandas, they spend 14 to 16 hours a day eating bamboo. Isn't that cool? Panda dads. On average, they eat about 25 to 30 pounds of bamboo a day. And in the springtime, they eat about 100 pounds. Giant pandas have a very good sense of smell. Even at night, they can, they can smell them bamboo. Even though they're, they're like, they can't see anything, they can smell the bamboo. So after eating the 100 pounds of bamboo, this is what they look like. <laughs> I want to balance it out a little bit. You know, Asians have such a bad connotation of this this going after it. But you know, believe it or not, that is one of the characteristics that God uh, really shows us as he exemplifies motherhood uh, in the Bible and how he uses motherhood to teach us a few lessons about what faith truly is. 
a few years ago, uh, Sarah Palin had this quote, and it really catapulted her to the national scene. She goes, you know, I love hockey moms. You know what the difference between hockey moms and a pit bull is? Lipstick, right? It catapulted her. I, I would say that is probably the pinnacle of her political career, if you will. It's been downhill since then. That's another story. But she touched upon something that really resonated with people, that moms are special people. And I want to say this too, you know, it's not easy doing Mother's Day or Father's Day because of the difficulties that maybe some of us have had with our moms and even our our own children and stuff like that. We get that, you know, but today, you know, we want to talk a little bit about just the essence of what God is talking about. But I love this one here. And there's a sensitive side to being a mom, too, not just this aggressive, do whatever it takes. And this is, uh, to the world, you may be one person, but to the one person, you may be the world. And uh, that was Dr. Seuss. Isn't that cool? And it really is a balance of motherhood, and it's a balance of what God wants us to have. And there are some great stories in the Bible on how God lifted up motherhood, and in the book of Luke, and it talks about, you know, Jesus. And the Bible says, as they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, it reminds me of this antennas, it says, who, were, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what has been told about this child. And all who heard about it were amazed that the shepherds, uh, at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, I think that God calls us to love our children, and that's a given. But what I appreciate about this passage is just how much Joseph, and particularly Mary, enjoyed the gift that God gave them to raise this this baby who grew up to be the Messiah. But I love it. I love this word. It says, she pondered these things up in her heart. She treasured these things up in her heart. Isn't that cool? And Timothy, when Paul talked to Timothy and he was reminiscing about his disciple Timothy, look what he said. And uh, he said this, and we'll pick it up in the middle. It says, I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now live in you also. Isn't that cool? When Paul was beginning his ministry, he picked Timothy to be one of his disciples to spread the word. And when he looked at Timothy, he didn't see this macho dude who's going around, you know, conquering things. But he says, Timothy, you know what I see in you? I see your grandmother and I see your mother in you. The tenderness, the love, the compassion for people. Isn't that cool? I just think that's really cool. In the Old Testament, God used the vision and the image of motherhood also to describe, you know, what his love for us is like. And I love this passage here. He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is what? Yes. Yes, she can. Because why? Because she's a human being just like you and I. Even though this is the closest natural relationship that God has installed in human beings? The answer is yes. The answer is totally. Even these may forget. 
And I hope that when we read these passages, that we have a little grace on our mothers and our parents and our fathers. That even though God calls them to this awesome role, that they fall short as well. But the Bible says this, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. God uses this, the closest of human relationship by just the natural order of things to explain that his love for us is even greater than that of a mother and her young child. Isn't that cool? And theologians have wrestled with this scripture. If you look at it, it says, Behold, I have engraved you in the palms of my hands. The significance of this is pretty awesome. Because in olden days, when slavery was still around, you never engrave the names of your slaves on your hands. It's actually the opposite. The slaves were the one who had the names of their master, their owners, engraved in their body, their hands or their arms. Not the other way around. But God is saying, I love you so much that I am imprinting you in the palms of my hands. That it is, I can see you. You're close to me every day. Theologians also interpret this passage as, if you look at the context of Isaiah, that these people were a broken people. They were being enslaved themselves by the Babylonians. And God says, listen, I got plans for you. And they are written in the palms of my hand. You are not forgotten. Isn't that cool? I read these passages, and it reminds me of, not my mom only, but obviously... It really gives me a conviction about how loved we are as a people of God, but just people in general as we look at this next passage here. Our theme passage, if you have a Bible, is uh, Matthew chapter 15. It will also be posted on the screen so you can follow along if you don't have a Bible with you. But the title of my lesson today is simply entitled, A Mother's Love. That we're going to read about a Canaanite woman... Another version calls her the Syrophoenician woman. And the significance of that is that she was not in the family of the Israelites. She was an outsider. She lived on the coast of what is modern-day Lebanon, outside the realm of Israel. And yet when she found that Jesus was in the vicinity, she did everything that she could to fight through all the racial barrier, all the religious barrier, to get a crack at Jesus. And I have three points today. A mother's love, it's stubborn. Number two, a mother's love is embarrassing. It is. I remember going to school when I was a kid. My mom used to make me clothes. And my friends would say, where did you get that? My mom made it. (laughs) My mom made these clothes for me. It's embarrassing sometimes, right? Teens, right? Number three, it's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Mother's love is stubborn, it's embarrassing, and it's unstoppable. Point number one, it's stubborn. We're going to read together. 
In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21 and verse 23, Jesus was having a bad day. And I want to speak to the millennials here, if I may. Jesus avoided church himself. If you look at chapter 15, chapter 14, and the beginning of chapter 15, he was having these religious arguments with people that really were religious to a point of just irritation. And the Bible says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to a region of Tyre and Sidon, outside the realm of Israel. He says, I'm tired of these people. They worship me, not with their hearts, and they honor me with their lips. And he pointed out a practice that they did, the religious world at that time. These people, what they did was that instead of honoring their father and mother, which is a command, what they did was that they practiced this thing called Corbin. And Corbin was a practice that they designated a certain amount of money and they give it to the temple so they were in cahoots, collusion with the temple. That the money that they dedicated was off limits to helping their parents. So they circumvented God's word, the heart of God's laws, but they were religious about it. So once the money is dedicated to the temple, they could not use it for anything else, including helping their mother and their father. And Jesus pointed that out. Jesus says, you're a bunch of hypocrites, guys. You think you're going to make it. You think you're going to go to heaven. You think that you are righteous, but I see straight through you. And he says, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm going to go out of Israel. I'm going to go to Tyre and Sidon. And I want to speak to the millennials here too. It says, yeah, you, you can say that and you have a case because church can be pretty ugly and the Bible actually says it itself. It says that, you know, some of your meetings actually do more harm than good. I love the honesty of the Bible. The backstabbing, the bickering, and the, the general discontentment of people coming to the church and thinking that the church owes them something to fix everything that they, they, they have broken in their lives. And that's not what the church is. And Jesus was sick and tired of these guys and he left that region and he went to Tyre and Sidon. And I don't have a map, but you can go take a look at the map. It's outside of the traditional authority of David, the, the kings of Israel. He said, I got to get out of here, take a little vacation. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed. I am suffering terribly. With a very simple sentence, she revealed who she was, her intention and her character. Number one, she was a Canaanite woman. And if you know anything about Near East, ancient Near East history, Canaan was a land where they actually sacrificed their children. If you look at the Old Testament, there were ample scriptures about Molech, one of the gods in the pantheon of Canaanites, gods, and, and he was the god that you sacrifice your children in the fire too. And that's her history. And yet it gives us a little bit more significance because here this woman is fighting for her daughter. And I love the passage here because it gives us so much of a glimpse of who she is and what she understood. She did her homework. You know, Christianity is about doing your homework as well. She's a Canaanite woman and she came up to Jesus and she says, Lord, son of David. The term son of David 
is not just like, hey, you're the son of keys or whatever. The son of David has significance in that it is the lineage of the true king of Israel and the Messiah was going to come from the son, the line of David. She did her homework and she understood what she was talking about. She understood what she was going after. You are the Messiah. I'm going after you. And with a reverence of a woman who understood what she was going after, she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. The love of a mother is stubborn. If you look at the Greek construction of that sentence, have mercy on me is not a request. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, I'll get back to you if you have time. It's a imperative. It's an imperative construction. This Canaanite woman came up to the Lord of Jesus, the Lord of, the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, whom she understood as the, the son of David and says, you have got to help me. Have mercy on me. Another thing that's fascinating about this passage is what? Who is suffering? The daughter is suffering. But she said what? Have mercy on me. That her, her daughter's health and well-being is inextricably tied into her well-being and health. That whatever she's going through, the daughter, the mother's also going through. I want to encourage the teens here a little bit. We're going to talk about how a mother's love is embarrassing, right? And it's true. But I tell you this, one of my favorite passages in Scripture says, the goal of this command is love. That the mother, the father, they might do some weird things and all that stuff. A lot of that comes from love. It comes from a place that is good, even though the execution of it might be a little bit awkward or it might be a little bit weird to you and to your friends and to the 2018 generation. But you got to understand that this woman says, my daughter is suffering, have mercy on me. It's been difficult. It's been hard. I got a text from Nicole last night. She texted everybody. And Lena's in. She's doing her one-year thing in Memphis. She's taking a psychology uh, class. Uh, Memphis is an intensive. And Nicole texted me. I was at about 12 o'clock. And it included Lena and Elizabeth. Elizabeth's in Bolivia about three hours ahead. And I said, Nicole, maybe it'll be good for you to take off Elizabeth and Nicole and, and mom because it's like three in the morning over there and they're sleeping. Nicole texted me back. She said, well, maybe they turn off their phones. And I said, uh, I'm not sure about that because I keep my phone on even though it's late so that if you guys really need us, you can always get a hold of us. So I will turn my phone off when you get married and have someone else to take care of. I didn't say that, right? But that's what it is. There's, we're inextricably tied into you, so what you do have a direct consequence on how we are doing. Well, I remember when Nicole was starting to drive. It, it was just painful. I had like stomach aches. Like I had to curl up and like a little baby, you know, like in a fetal position. 
It's kind of like when the space shuttle comes into the atmosphere. There's like, you know, 10 minutes there where it's blackout. You know, you can't call them. You can't talk to them. You're just in a fetal position with, with diarrhea, you know, in your stomach. And it's like, oh my God. This is just stomach. This is really what gets me. This woman says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. My daughter is possessed and suffering terribly. She was dogged. She was stubborn about getting the help that she needs for herself. And she was stubborn about the help that she needs to get for her daughter. Point number two. It's embarrassing. Because they are so stubborn, because they are so dogged, they do weird things. They do. Moms do weird things. To protect, to take care and uh, to make sure that their kids have, have really have the well-being and that they need. Jesus did not answer a word. Come on, Jesus. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She was so stubborn and she was so determined that the disciples were no match for this one woman. They were no match. And these disciples, if you look at the construction of the Greek, this is not an imperative. This is like a suggestion. They came to Jesus and go, can you help us out? This woman is driving us crazy. Can you help us out? You got some authority. Send her away. Isn't that what moms do? They're embarrassing. They do. They embarrass us. They say stuff that's like, oh my gosh. Right? They do stuff that's like, oh. Right? You know, Gabby is six years old. And my empty nester stage is when I'm 63. She is the graduating class of 2029. (laughs) All right? So I'm already planning ahead that... She's going to ask me to drop her off like two blocks before the school, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. All right? But that's what parents do. We, we, that's our job. We're, we're there to embarrass our kids to a point where people are saying, send her away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Can you imagine that? Your daughter is sick. You know that this person is the Messiah. You come up to him. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to read this scripturally. Is it a test from God? I don't know. That's something that you got to wrestle out. There's no clear answer here. A lot of times we want to go back to the Bible. We want to find some definitive, clear answer about what God is doing. And I I have some disappointing news. You're not going to be able to sometimes. We're going to have to wrestle through some of these things. It's a relationship with God. Sometimes he gives you the answer right away. Sometimes it takes a few years. Sometimes it takes a few days. I don't know. I don't know. If you're looking for some quick answers from the Bible, how to solve your problem today, and you're not disappointed, then you're going to be disappointed. It's a relationship. It takes work. God's timing. God's all these different factors that God has to play in. We have to really figure that out ourselves. 
Let me close out with this, number three. And this is my main point. It's stubborn, it's embarrassing, it's unstoppable. And I want to speak to us a little bit about our relationship with God. I want to speak to us a little bit about our relationship with the Word of God. The Bible says this, and about our character too. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And I want to give you guys a guess. What do you think? What, what, what is the, what is that, what is that, the, the tense of this passage here? Lord, help me. It gives it away a little bit, right, by the exclamation point. Again, it's in the imperative. She goes up to the Son of God and says, I am not going away. I got you here. You are probably going to spend a few days here. You're going to go back to Israel. I am not letting you go. I want to ask us today, how's our prayer life? For those who are reading the Bible, learning scriptures, maybe for the first time studying the Bible, how are we, how are, are we determined? Do we have the same attitude like this woman? I will not be stopped. You know, we live in a world of cheap grace. We live in a world where it's anything you can do, whatever God will accept me. That's not true. That's not true. Read the scriptures. That's not for me. Read the scriptures. When I was a young minister, I was always trying to convince people. Look at this scripture. Look at that passage. As I've gotten older, I'm a little bit more tired maybe. I don't know what it is. I'm like, hey, check it out yourself. you got to figure this out. This is the scripture. Deal with it. This is not, these are not my words. Yes, God is loving as we looked at in Isaiah. He is loving to a point of engraving us permanently on the palm of his hands. But we got to wrestle. We got an issue that we're struggling with. We got to wrestle through the Word of God. We got to be more deeper in the Word of God. We got to be deeper and understand what Scripture says and be convinced ourselves of what we are going after. I think sometimes we're shallow. We have an issue. We complain to one another. We talk to that person. We talk to that person. We don't go to God enough. I don't hear the conversations where someone says, man, I wrestle things through. I got this issue. I look at the scripture and this is what it says. I'm convicted. I'm inspired. This is what I'm working on in my character. I see what God says to me. It's the authoritative word of God. It's authoritative. And I trust in it. And that's what we got to do. We got to be convinced from scriptures so we're not tossed back and forth by the winds and the waves, what people say, what this and that. Help me, she said. He replied, it is is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I would feel perfectly understandable of this woman if she walked away at this point. All right, I've done my best. He's calling me a dog. It's getting getting bad. You know, theologians don't know what to do with this passage. 
The Greek word for dog is kuon. But the word here is not kuon, but is a diminutive version of that word dog. It's like a little dog. There's a separation between a wild dog and a household domesticated dog. And theologians will tell you that, well, it's a domesticated dog. I don't care what they say. A dog is a dog. If you call me a dog, those are fighting words. <laughs> right? And we don't have time to go into all that. But it would be perfectly understandable, don't you think, for her to walk away and go, answer's not here. Jesus is so crude, so bad, so so whatever, so non-2018. He didn't take that class, you know, about the listening thing. He missed it. Check her answer out. In the Greek, it actually says she answered and said. There's two parts of it. But in, in the, the NIV, it just says, she said. Yes, it is, Lord. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You ever have someone insult you, and you're doing really good? It's true. You got it. You got me. You know me. Even the dogs eat the crumbs off, the falls off the table of the master's table. Um, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I wonder when I look at this passage, how many opportunities, whether it's in business, relationships, have been forfeited because we've been offended in some way. I wonder about that all the time. I'm so offended. Walk away from a perfectly good situation. Walk away from a perfectly perfect solution, even. And we walk around trying to find safe things only that we can engage in rather than really going after it. That God calls us to. The victory is there. But we're settling. We're settling. I'm offended. I'm out of here. That person said something to me. I don't like it. But the Bible says, hmm, it's good for a brother to strike me. It's like oil flowing down from my head. Isn't that cool? And it's closed out in this. Then Jesus said to a woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. The word for great is megas. What do you think we got that, what, what, what transliterate into our language in English? Megas, mega? So Jesus looked at the woman and said, you have mega faith. You have big old faith. And your daughter is healed. Let me throw this back on the moms and the moms to be. You don't have to be a physical mom to be a mom in the church. Our faith has consequences for other people. As we get ready to take communion, we started off with Isaiah, where God says, Look at my palms. It is a testimony of how much I love you. In the book of Luke, we don't have time to turn there, in Luke chapter 24, when he came back from the resurrection and the people were still doubting, even his own disciples, he showed his hands to Thomas and to the disciples and says, look at my palms. Look at the holes on my palms. 
This is a testimony of how much I love you. That's what we have in God. The perfect father, the perfect mother that meets our needs no matter what. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful to you. God, help us to understand who you are, God, the perfect God. Help us to understand the sacrifice that you gave for us, that you died for us. And Father, as we take the bread and the wine, the fruit of the vine, help us to understand the sacrifice and appreciate it. Father, maybe for the very first time in a way that is deep, that is that is responsive to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.